College Center for Community and Social Justice. Welcome to Diversifying Diversity with your host, Dr. Kylie King. So I am joined by Craig Pepin and Aziz Batnasi. Uh, Dr. Craig Pepin is a professor in the core, the assistant dean for assessment in the core division and co-lead faculty of the degree design lab. His partner in crime, Aziz, is an assistant professor in the core division and co-lead faculty in the degree design lab. So thank you so much to Aziz and Craig for being here today. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so I will ask for you all to kick us off by providing a little bit more information in terms of an introduction. So information about yourself, your background, your work at Champlain College in general, and more specifically, your work in the areas of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Yeah. Uh, well, before we begin, I wanted to acknowledge that the land that we as discussants here live, learn and work on is the traditional and stolen territory of the Abenaki and Wabanaki Confederacy. And I'd like to recognize our occupation of and undue benefits received from the dispossession of land from indigenous peoples of the area now known as Vermont. Uh, the Abenaki were and are the original caretakers of said land, and we must honor them by continuing to take care of our collective home. And I encourage uh, listeners of this podcast to watch the short film Nebi Abenaki Ways of knowing water in order to understand and honor traditional protocols of Abenaki tribes. So I guess that kind of leads me into how, uh, what I do and, and how I got involved in this work. Um, I'm a professor in the core, and I think a lot of what we do touches the subjects that everybody interacts with in their everyday lives, which includes diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and uh, in my teaching, I try to bring about my own personal experience as a resident of Vermont, long-term resident of Vermont, and, uh, you know, somebody who left and came back uh, with that perspective. So that I think is where I'm coming from. Great. Greg? I occupy a similar position to Aziz in some ways in that I uh, teach in the core and have taught there for since almost since its inception. But um, about 10 years ago, I was given some additional administrative duties, um, which is the assistant dean work. Uh, and when we talk about assessment, that's basically trying to answer the question, how well are the students learning and what are they learning, essentially, and answering those questions in ways that sort of go beyond grades, essentially. So uh, that has sort of fundamentally influenced, in particular, the kind of questions that I ask, because I ask not just in my own classroom, but I ask about the core division as a whole, and to some extent, sort of the wider university in, in as much as the core now is uh, trying to um, adopt as their program learning goals, the college competencies, which are these sort of institution-wide things that um, we hope all students will be able to do or be able to understand or know before they leave Champlain. And so one of those is diversity, equity, inclusion, and that's uh, primarily how I came to this work. The other work that I've become increasingly uh, involved with is, we mentioned we're co-lead faculty in the Degree Design Lab, and the Degree Design Lab is a new program at Champlain where students design their own major and also track their progress on those competencies very explicitly. So there are 12 total that we have, but uh, it is asking students to do what most students are not asked to do. And as, okay, how are you doing in diversity, equity, inclusion, or collaboration, or integrative thinking, or information literacy? What are you doing in your classes that help you develop in that way? And so the students gather evidence over the course of their career. They ask themselves each semester, okay, what am I doing this semester? Which competencies is addressed? What activities am I engaged in to help me develop? And um, thinking about that has really made me think about diversity, equity, and inclusion as something that you develop over time. So that's kind of how I came to it. 
Okay, that's great. So that leads into my next question really well, as your perspective on diversity, equity, and inclusion being something that is developed over time. I am wondering if you could build on that and Aziz, you could provide some information on how you personally are defining or looking at diversity and how that perspective influences your work in the core, in DDL, in assessment. It's a big Mm -hmm. question. You know, I mean, my background is... um in anthropology and uh, I got my BA from UVM right up the hill and my MA and PhD from Indiana. And the central focus of anthropology is is culture, which I think stems from the inherent uh, beauty of diversity that we have amongst us as the human race. Um, One of the central tenets that I think uh, I've been kind of working with at a professionally focused college is um, how do you teach students this kind of cultural relativism? Uh, How do you teach them how to escape ethnocentrism that might be inherent to professional fields such as business or, um, you know, education or um, even communications? Um, And I think for me, um, diversity has an anti-hegemonic tint to it where, um, you know, there are things that we accept as quote unquote normal. um, And some of those might be related to issues of gender or race or religion. Um, And I feel as though my, my work is really to disrupt that and to get people to question why those things are considered normal, why those things are representative of either diversity or not diversity in in some people's opinion, um, and how we can have a more rich discussion about those things. So Craig, before you chime in on this, Aziz, I'm wondering if you could go a little bit deeper in talking about that as a competency, right? So disrupting the view of normal and being able to have someone question what is normal. You've done work to actually create a college competency in the areas of diversity, equity, and inclusion. How do you do that, right? It's such a a complex and complicated topic. So how do you go about creating a rubric that could be used to get at assessing things like that? Yeah, that's a good question. And um, in terms of rubrics, I'll defer to my colleague, Dr. Pepin, who (laughs) has far more experience in that than I. Um, You know, I think also in terms of how do you get people to kind of follow that path and really see it as something that's measurable, that's achievable. um, You know, it's something I think we both can speak to quite well because it was a collaborative effort. And I think that's kind of the solution, right? It's collaboration. Um, It really does take figuring out where you're at which is a process that Craig and um, Cindy and Mike, the other co-founders, did over the course of a year and a half. And then moving from where you're at to where you want to be, or at least setting setting the goalposts. And I think, you know, I'll let Craig speak to this part, but we took a really intentional approach to seeking out stakeholder feedback um, from community members, um, which, you know, included people on campus, off campus, um, you know, alumni. We reached out to some of those. And we really tried to really set a benchmark for what we could do. And and the hope is that this is just the start, right? So I think Craig will talk to this, but he actually said, you know, it's it's a long process. It's, it's an ongoing conversation. And the hope is we're getting better, not worse. So having a metric allows us, I think, to to know how we're doing. And that's, I think, the first step. All right, Craig, now, now over to you, your personal definition and how you use that in your work. Well, my definition has really evolved pretty significantly uh, in large part and due to my friendship with Aziz, who's sort of really helped me make a lot of progress in terms and, and, and see a lot more than I was able to see uh, even five years ago. So in terms of defining it, I would default to the definition that Aziz's working group on the competency really came up with back in 2018, 2017, 2018. And that is 
Um, I really see sort of three components within that that really and, and seeing that way really helped me. On the one hand, there's sort of a, there's an intellectual ability involved and that is sort of evaluation and the ability to sort of understand what's going on around you, to put it in, in very, very simple terms. What are the social contexts? What are the structures of power? Um, how are people being differentially affected? Um, the second part I really see is a disposition. And that is um, really, you know, Having an, a standpoint of openness and seeing, uh, really having a standpoint of shared humanity. So seeing everyone as sort of part of the same group, as, as sharing in that fundamental uh, fundamental dignity of, of being human. Um, and the third component I see is really then taking those beliefs that you have and integrating them with your actions. So in other words, not just sort of evaluating and understanding and not just having that sort of open disposition, but then also then acting uh, within your own capacity, within where you, you know, acting from where you stand and doing what you can. Um, that's the definition that Aziz's working group came up with and I found it incredibly useful. That's great. And for our listeners, we will include that language as well as the rubric in the show notes so you can all reference that information. Um, going back to something else that Aziz mentioned. So trying to create benchmarks, and it's just the start of measuring how, how students are thinking about these concepts. How do you approach the challenge of um, coming up with a measurable construct, right? So yeah. it seems that so much of what we're talking about is really intangible, and it might be easy to rely on things like gender, for mm-hmm. for example, or, or race or age. How do you get past that when trying to measure diversity? Well, I should probably take a step back and talk about competencies more generally. Sounds and good. This, this very notion that um, we want people to be able to do certain things and to be have certain dispositions before they graduate, because that is really the hallmark of a Champlain education. That's how we at Champlain define what it means to be educated in the Champlain sense and includes the other competencies as well as diversity, equity, inclusion. In terms of... Um, finding things that are measurable or rather I think there's sort of multiple ways in which that that works so one is as Aziz said what you're trying to do is you're trying to set some sort of benchmarks or at least goals for which we want students to move towards while they're here at Champlain they also apply to the rest of the Champlain community by the way it's not just the students it applies to it's all the faculty the staff uh, the wider community itself we all want that to be the hallmark of what it means to be a part of the Champlain community when you set those goals you are clarifying in certain ways uh, what diversity, equity, inclusion means in more detailed practice. And I think um, one thing I'd love is used to talk about more, but we didn't identify specific forms of diversity, right? Because we didn't want to define it in that way or think in that way, but rather focus more on these abilities and these attitudes, these dispositions, which then applies to many, many different forms of diversity. The measuring part is my challenge, right? Uh, that's my job here at Champlain, in addition to teaching. Um, and it is a perennial, perennial challenge. I don't know how deep in the weeds you want to get on how that's actually measured or not. Um, However deep you'd like to go. Oh, gosh. Uh, you really <laughs> didn't want to say that. Okay. All right. So halfway, h- half as yeah. deep as you'd like to go. Right. I mean, so... You know, when you think of dispositions are probably some of the hardest things to measure, right? You can look at the way that people act over time. Uh, you can look to see if their actions are, you can ask them, but the very act of asking them also prompts them to do it. So there's this sort of dialogic relationship between assessment and development. 
So by asking them to do these things, you then make them think about them more as they're engaged in other activities. And this is where I think, you know, the, the approach of the degree design lab, where actually asking students to demonstrate competency before they graduate can be so powerful because when they know what these goals are and the different aspects of diversity, equity, and inclusion as they've been defined at Champlain, then they start to think about, and they know that they had to produce evidence of achievement in it or evidence of competency in it, then they start thinking about how it infuses their daily activities. And so the process of, of asking students to do that then makes them better because they're simply conscious of it in a way that so much of that is not conscious before. They're intentional. It's like, oh, I should think about the ways in which I'm acting in this relationship. I should think about the structures of power in this particular thing that I'm working in or that I'm studying or evaluating and think about how that relates to diversity. And so that calling attention to it then makes students and everyone really more likely to incorporate it into, to make it sort of what we call tacit knowledge, something you just do as a matter of course, right? Um, and in terms of measuring that, you ask people, okay, what do you think about this, right? So one of the, one of the methods of measurement is you ask students to say, okay, show the evidence uh, where you've actively engaged in that. And if they're thinking about it, then they can show the as I was in this interaction, I did X. And then you also uh, ask students to sort of uh, reflect on the extent to which they're doing it. But you also get evidence of their dispositions. Mm -hmm. So in the degree design lab, what we use are what we call portfolios of evidence. And they gather examples where they've engaged in activities that demonstrate these things, whatever the, the competency is that they're looking at. And then we also ask them to reflect. So please give us whoever you're writing it for, you know, what you were thinking when you were doing these things, uh, how you see yourself having developed while you were at Champlain in this area. And so ultimately, that's that's how we uh, do our best to measure something that is a very, very difficult thing to measure. Thank you. That was a perfect level of depth, I think. Aziz, did you have anything that you wanted to add to that? I mean, there was a lot there that I think would be helpful to unpack at a later date. But I'll just add one thing, which is... Um, you know, we, we really face the observer's paradox whenever we try to measure something, which is by measuring it, we promote that phenomenon to occur. So by putting a rubric out there about DEI, as my colleague just stated, we're getting people to think about DEI. Um, you know, I think what was really significant in the change that we made to the rubric was going from something that had criterion and levels to something that had framing questions and, and things that were really trying to get students and faculty to think about process, to think about the way they approach um, diversity, to kind of go back to the ethnocentrism piece. You know, diversity in the American context is completely different in some cases from diversity outside of the U.S. And if our students are truly going to be global international scholars and affect change, they need to understand that um, and perhaps not enter into spaces with these preconceived notions of how people operate. So um, I think the first step of, of the rubric was getting them to question that. Where do you stand on these positions and how do you move from that to somewhere else? That's great. And you both mentioned an important point that these rubrics are not just for students. It's to encourage faculty and staff and the Champlain community more broadly to mm -hmm. be knowledgeable about these topics and and, um, and to be thinking about them and their approach. So I am wondering if you could speak about how this work through the competency or other work you're doing at Champlain, how that has influenced the Champlain community. I think I have an answer and Aziz is going to have a very different answer. And Perfect. So, 
So one of the ways in which it's influenced the Champlain community and certainly in terms of the core is it's had a fairly substantial impact on the, the redesign of the core, which is currently ongoing. And so one of the first things we did was um, before engaging on that redesign process was to reevaluate what our goals were for students who come through the core. And we so we decided collectively as a division to adopt the college competencies. And then the college competencies became sort of the guideposts for, okay, we're going to have this course in the second year. What do we want to do? Which of the college competencies do we want it to address? And we want to be very intentional to try to address the college competencies in a developmental way through the course. So certain courses have a very strong diversity, equity, and inclusion component in the new one. Um, they're seen as sort of a continual development where, okay, first year you get this course and here's how DEI is approached and here's how it's discussed. And the second year there's, okay, we're going to approach it in a different way, or it's going to infuse this particular course in this way. And in the third year, here are the certain ways we want to see it apparent. And we hope that the students will have been developing over time in that way. So it also was a focus of our assessment work last year. We engage in several, mostly me, unfortunately, because that's my job. It's not the faculty's job to do the assessment work uh, for the most part. Um, but uh, we use the DEI rubric, or I use the DEI rubric to go back and look at core courses and to sort of ask the question, okay, there are five different areas in DEI that the, within the rubric and ask ourselves, okay, which of these criteria the course is addressing, which are they doing, which they appear to be addressing very, very strongly, which yielded a report, which we then took back to the faculty and said, okay, what do you think this means? You know, what should we be doing? And so we had a very long uh, involved discussion uh, last April, I guess it was, we devoted an entire division meeting to sort of looking at the results and talking about it and then thinking of ways in which uh, we could become better at diversity, equity, and inclusion in all of our courses, but in particular the courses where it was uh, highlighted um, an important part of the student development process. So that's one of the ways in which we've used it. Sounds like a useful exercise. Aziz, is your answer in fact different as Craig hypothesized? You know, I don't know. I think Craig, <laughs> again, you know, uh, institutionally, I think Craig has... Um, his finger on the pulse. And definitely, I think, you know, those formal ways of approaching it have definitely you know, been a result of this work. But I think there are also informal ways. I would say that a lot of professors now are having these discussions um, in an open and uh, equitable format. So, you know, we have some working groups that came about and, you know, the names escape me currently at the moment, but um, their goal is to unpack how we do this in ways that we might not see through formal assessment. So I think, you know, one thing that's really been nice is that we've kind of blended those two uh, often disparate pieces together. That gives us, a, I mean, think a more complete picture. And something that I've really appreciated as a faculty member not directly involved in the creation of this rubric is the level of engagement and feedback that you've requested from the community. So either through one-off conversations or through presentations to students and faculty, it's been really great to be able to um, share my voice and perspective on this as well. So thank you for doing that and being so inclusive, for modeling inclusivity in your, in your efforts there. I am wondering if you can speak to any common misconceptions around your work in DE&I or common misconceptions around DE&I more broadly? Yeah, I think uh, the first misconception that I, I will just dispel immediately is the fact that any one person is an expert on diversity um, in its totality. I think, you know, we all have 
understandings of diversity in our own experience, but uh, we all have space to grow, including the people who wrote the rubric. Um, it, it sometimes is in students' opinions that these things are like unchangeable, carved in stone tomes, but really it's a process of conversation. And I think again, yeah, the thing that I would dispel of anybody's mind is that you can do diversity by yourself. It really does take uh, a community and negotiating with that community what your expectations are for inclusion. Yeah, that's great. Craig? Yeah, I, my response has a lot to do with my professional field of assessment, right? Which is, you know, again, student learning assessment is trying to figure out how the students are learning or how anyone's learning, really. And um, that is every college and university has an office of assessment or institutional effectiveness where they're, they're asked to do this as part of their accreditation process. And we have a moral obligation anyways as instructors to figure out if what we're doing is successful, I think. But within the field of assessment, I think there are a couple of misconceptions, I think, um, One's related to competency, and that is that the, the idea of a competency assumes that you reach an endpoint. That okay, you, you demonstrate competency, you move on, right? And as Aziz is really so ably described, that's really not the case with diversity, equity, inclusion in particular. I argue it's not true with other competencies either, but especially with diversity, equity, inclusion, because that is something you can never truly be expert. It is something that you are always striving to. You have to remind yourself about the dispositions, the openness, the think about, the you know, evaluate, continue to have that lens, that evaluative lens when you're looking at conditions around you and, and relationships that you have and other forms of diversity that you may not have thought of before. Right. right. The new forms of like, well, I hadn't thought about that before. And, you know, the what Aziz read at the beginning about the, the, the native lands is not something she would have heard three or four years ago. But increasingly, we're starting to understand that as as also important to diversity in ways we haven't thought of before. So that's that's one thing. I think the other and I don't know if it's a misconception, but it's more of a philosophical debate. And that is whether measurement is itself, is itself a form of either domination or an expression of power of one over the other. Hmm. Uh, and to a certain extent, it is. Uh, and I've had some great conversations with Faith Yacoubian about this. Uh, I still don't know exactly where I come down, but there's essentially two levels. And I think the assessment community is uh, working very hard on the first level, and that is to look at the methods of assessment that have been used in the past and ask the very questions that you know, as uses rubric asks us to ask, is there, are there hidden power structures and biases built into our methods? And to be very intentional about trying to root those out, to be far more inclusive um, about bringing in student voices, uh, underrepresented voices into the assessment process as a way of trying to counteract any biases that might be inherent within the methods that we have. There's a higher level, a more philosophical level, and that is the extent to which any form of expertise is itself sort of a, particularly expertise defined in the Western sense, is itself a form of domination. Faith and I continue to go back and forth on that, and Aziz has been involved those conversations too. So I don't know exactly where I come down on that yet, but. Well, I, I think that's great to not know, to admit that. And, yeah. and I think emphasizes the point that Aziz made earlier that you can't be an expert really in any of the areas that we believe to be important at Champlain. So some mm -hmm. of the other competencies are things like integrative thinking and collaboration. We can include all of these in the show notes, but these are things that we as faculty who are teaching in these areas are still striving to figure out how we think in this moment, which might be different from how we think five years from now. So I mm -hmm. think that's an exciting part of the process is recognizing that there's not an endpoint. Um, it's something that Aziz and I have talked about in the past is 
we value what we measure and we measure what we value. I believe that is from Lord Kelvin, if I'm um, attributing that quote Mm -hmm. correctly. And so thank you for including such powerful things as college competencies and and encouraging us to value these things and to strive um, toward making progress both individually and as a community. So before we wrap up, I am wondering if you all might have any recommendations or takeaways for listeners to integrate into their lives after listening to you all speak on this topic. Yeah, I guess I have one. Um, you know, earlier I mentioned uh, communities needing to figure out their ways of inclusion. You know, I think one thing that is becoming radically apparent in the emerging, perhaps post-pandemic world, is the desire for equity and the need for equity in all the systems and institutions that we engage in. And so I think a good first step for people who are, you know, maybe off-put by the word diversity or maybe that instills some anxiety in them is to start with an approach of equity to look around at the people who comprise the community you're engaged with and to figure out what do they need? What can you give them? How can you help them achieve the goals they have? You know, I'll, I'll refer them to the definition of violence um, as written by Johann Gautung, who some presume to be the father of peace studies, which is uh, violence is the denial of opportunity. It's denial of possibility. And so um, if you're thinking about how you can give people opportunities and give them possibilities, I think you're starting from a good place. Thank you, Craig. I'm not sure what I could add to that, to be honest. I'll simply say that as someone who's a traditionally trained academic, I just tend to think that knowing more is also a good place to start. And so, you know, seeking out voices that haven't been heard before and being open to their stories. Uh, one that really affected me recently was reading John Lewis's graphic novel, uh, March, recounting his experiences in uh, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee in the 1960s. Um, I'm a big comic book nerd from way back. So graphic, uh, graphic representations or the, the combination of words and pictures is really powerful. And I think that three book series affected me in a real, in a way I didn't expect to be affected. And I just learned so much more about the, even though I'd studied the sixties movements in the past, uh, I learned so much more from reading that, that I had not known before and, and started to think about in particular, um, actions, you know, aligning your actions with your values and what it, what it really takes ultimately. I I'd go with Aziz's answers first, to tell you the truth. Well, so. they're both good answers. <laughs> and we did hear from a previous podcast guest uh, too. There's information out there in so many different forms. Yeah. So whether it's graphic novels or works of fiction or podcasts, uh, consume whatever yeah. information is meaningful to you in a way that's meaningful, but continue to seek that information is the important thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you again to Craig and to Aziz for being here with us. A lot of important things for us to think about moving mm-hmm. forward and hopefully we can have you back on here to dig into some of these in more detail at a future date. Thank you, Dr. King. We'd be delighted to do that. Thanks for the opportunity. All righty. Inclusive diversity is important to groups, organizations, schools, and societies. We as people have the power to transform as individuals and as a global community for the betterment of our society. In order to harness this power, it is important that we recognize that equity and inclusion are the keys to creating opportunity and meaning in our lives. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Diversifying Diversity. Stay tuned this season as we share full interviews and collectively learn about the important work our guests are doing in the areas of diversity, equity, and inclusion.